You are listening to a podcast from Essendon Presbyterian Church in Melbourne, recorded 10 a.m. on September 24, 2023, presented by Rev. Chris Duke. Let's turn to our reading now from Romans chapter 10. Let's give attention to God's Word. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. May the Lord bless to us the reading of his word. Would you pray with me? Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we ask you, Lord, that as we consider these words, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would teach us afresh more of your gospel. And Lord, help us to have the correct perspective of the gospel. We pray, Lord, that we may hear from your word today. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in Romans chapters 9, 10 and 11, and of course we haven't got to 11 yet, but we'll get there, Paul is answering the question of where Israel fits into God's plan of redemption. You see, Israel had mostly rejected Jesus as the Messiah. So in Romans, Paul presents us with the gospel. He presents us with the gospel of justification by faith alone through the finished work of Christ. But what about Israel who has rejected their Messiah? So Paul answers firstly that God, due to his sovereignty, has determined that the gospel would go to the Jews and Gentiles, that it would go to all peoples. And Paul explains that God has chosen some and he's passed by others. Now, Paul anticipates people's immediate objection to this idea, that God would choose some and pass over others. The immediate cry of, well, that's not fair, sounds forth as he speaks in Romans chapter 9. 
explaining that indeed this is fair and it is indeed merciful. And then also in Romans 9 verse 30, Paul goes on to explain that the second component to God's sovereignty is also man's responsibility, especially faith in Jesus, the Messiah. And last week uh, we looked at, at, at these verses. We looked at verses 30 to 33 of Romans 9. And Paul explained that Israel's failure to embrace the gospel was due to their stumbling over Jesus, over Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Israel was seeking salvation through keeping the law rather than by faith in Christ Jesus, by trusting in Jesus. Israel stumbled over the stumbling stone. And the one who was indeed the rock of, the, of salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ was appointed both for the rise and the fall of many in Israel. Many did embrace Jesus, including Paul, but many more turned their backs on him and so stumbled over the very person whom God appointed to be the rock of salvation. And now Paul continues this argument into Romans chapter 10 in our passage today, verses 1 to 13. And as we unpack today's passage, I want to concentrate on four verses, verses 2, 4, 9 and 12. The phrases that come from these verses will be known to us. Verse 2 says this, For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. And Paul is talking about the Jews here. He's saying that their zeal for God is unquestioned, but it's without true knowledge. And verse 4 says, For Christ is, is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And verse 9 says, That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then verse 12, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. We might say between Jew and Gentile. For the same Lord over all is, is rich to all who call upon him. And Paul begins chapter 10 like he began in chapter 9. He expresses his heart's desire for the salvation of Israel, which is very significant. Paul speaks here very directly to his fellow Jewish brethren and he, he speaks hard, hard words and he speaks hard words here to us as Gentiles. And Paul's words in Romans 9, 10 and 11 are plain and yet they're uncomfortable. So Paul says, you need to understand that I don't hate Israel. I am an Israelite. And my prayers and my desires of my heart is for my own people to embrace the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, isn't this the prayer that we have for all of our family members that so far haven't come to Christ? And similarly for friends and for acquaintances and even for strangers, for those who at this moment refute and disbelieve the gospel. Paul, the great theologian, one of the greatest minds of his time, 
bears his heart because of his love for his people and so he has hard words to say. Friends, sometimes I'm the conveyor of hard words. When I endeavour to teach and to preach the oracles of God, but as a pastor, as your pastor, I, I aim to speak the truth in love. The first thing that Paul says in verses 1 to 3 is the problem with your religious practice. Verse 3 summarises their problem, and this can be our problem as well. They fail to subject themselves to God's righteousness. Now, what does this mean? What does this mean? The Jewish people of Paul's day sought to establish their own righteousness through keeping the law rather than trusting in the promised Messiah. They thought they could stand righteous. They could stand right, if you like, before a holy and a just God rather than trusting in the promised Messiah. They thought that by just keeping obedience to the law would put them in a right relationship and they would be accepted by God and they would continue to receive blessings. But Paul says in these first three verses that sincere and earnestness in religion will not save you. And similarly, this principle applies to all of us. Paul summarises, Jews, yes, you have this intense and earnest zeal for God, but your zeal for God is not in accordance with knowledge, with true knowledge. And many people will tell you that if you live a good life, that if you're good to your, your neighbours and your friends, that if you, you love people, and that word love is misconstrued today, you see, people interpret love as affirming everyone, especially in their lack of knowledge. And, confer, and affirming everyone in their confused knowledge and their confused beliefs. No one is ever meant to disagree with anyone today. Is that right? Well, God does. And so does the Bible. The world thinks that if your intentions are good, then it doesn't matter. If you really are seeking God and you're sincere, surely God will accept you. But the Apostle Paul comes and pours cold water on that Fire on this foolish thinking. Your zeal has no value unless it's according to knowledge. And what Paul means by this is that our zeal in religion, now don't get me wrong, I, I, I love it when people are comp, uh, full of passion and enthusiasm, but if your zeal in religion, it must be directed by the word of God. And Paul condemns Israel hereby charging them that they don't understand their own scripture and they've failed to truly know God as revealed in the scriptures. Therefore, they have looked for salvation in the wrong way. How often we value experience 
especially our own experiences over scripture. How often we value enthusiasm over correct teaching. And Paul is saying that if we approach God, then we should approach God from God's perspective, not ours. Paul is saying that in both the Old Testament and now under the New Covenant, of course in Paul's day when he wrote Romans, the, the, the canon of the New Testament wasn't complete, but salvation has always been by faith. Amen? Not by keeping the law. Salvation is by God's grace and it's received by faith. Abraham was credited with righteousness not because he was good, And not because he was obedient, because he wasn't always obedient, but because he believed God. And this was the fundamental problem of Israel. And it's the major problem of people today. People trying to work out their own salvation. Scripture makes it clear that keeping the law perfectly is impossible. We read the Ten Commandments earlier. Have you kept every one of those Ten Commandments? You just have to break it once and you've done your dash. So if anyone is going to be saved, it must be by God's grace. It must be by God's grace. The first thing that Paul points out is that although his people have a zeal for God, it's not according to knowledge. It's not done with knowledge of the scriptures. They they sought salvation by their own righteousness rather than seeking God's mercy and his righteousness. Now the second thing I want want us to see is in verses 4 to 7, maybe it's up there, is the contrast between salvation by Christ and salvation by your own efforts. When you come to trust in Christ Jesus, it means the ends, it's the end, if you like, of you attempting your own salvation, especially by your own righteousness. In verse verse 4, what is Paul saying? Christ is the end of the law of righteousness to those who believe. Paul isn't simply saying that Christ is the fulfilment of the law, though that is true. He's not just saying that Christ is the goal of the law, though that is true. He's saying that Christ is the end of the law. Paul's not saying that the law was ever a separate way of salvation apart from grace. And Paul quotes the Old Testament to show that the Old Testament teaches salvation by grace. So he's not saying once upon a time you were saved by the law, but now that Christ has come, that you're not saved by the law. Paul is simply saying this, that many people act as if the law of Moses is like a covenant of works. It's the way that you're saved. If you keep all those Ten Commandments, then you'll be saved. And that obedience to it gains you a right standing with God. And Paul emphatically says, Christ is the end to that. The covenant of works in the garden demanded perfect and they demanded personal obedience 
to its conditions. God had commanded Adam to obey him perfectly and when he disobeyed, he was cast out of the garden. But people have come along and they've treated the Mosaic law as a separate way of salvation that in keeping its requirements was the way to have a right relationship with God. Well, Paul says, Christ brought an end to that. Remember, God sent his, his son into the world incarnate. In other words, God, he became flesh and he's dwelt among us. He dwelt among us to live, to minister, to die, to be buried and to rise again in order to fulfil the law. How could there be any other way to fulfil the law? If God provided the very means through his son to fulfil the law, how could there be any other way of standing righteous before God? There is no other way. God initiated his way at the enormous price of his own son. And Jesus himself said to his disciples in John 14 verse 6, I am the way, you know it, the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me, through Jesus. Jesus, as the way of salvation, ends any idea that people, you and you or I, can earn our way back into fellowship with God through our own works, through our own righteousness, through our own good deeds. Christ is the end of the law of our own righteousness to everyone who believes. And this is a very important message for, for people who are religious. Most of us don't have a problem believing that sinners need to be saved from their sins. When someone kills someone, it's easy to think that those who do wicked things need to be forgiven for their sins or else face the justice of God. But friends, it's not so apparent for us to agree that we can't establish a righteousness for ourselves that enables us to be accepted by God. Yes, we need to be saved not only from our sins but also from our own righteousness because our own righteousness is deceptive. Friends, our own righteousness is a self-righteousness that is never attained. However, Christ's righteousness and Christ alone causes us to be accepted by God and Christ's work to save us from our own righteousness, which is never perfect. You see, the righteousness of Christ, which is attained by faith, doesn't look at our own needs and it doesn't look at our own deeds as the basis on which God accepts us. It entirely looks to Christ and it looks to his deeds and it trusts in him and it recognises that he has kept the law perfectly. He bore our penalty 
for our sin, for his people alone and it trusts in him. The law as a method for obtaining righteousness ends with Jesus Christ. And Paul tells us that to be in a right relationship with God, the choice of relying on our own righteousness is a very poor choice indeed. Salvation by Christ is the only way and all other ways, including attempts at obeying God's law, are wrong. You know, I'm not saying that it's not good to obey God's law. Okay? Don't be confused. From verses 8 to 10, Paul continues to contrast the demands of the law. Earlier in verses 6 to 7, it says, Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. So what is Paul talking about there? In Jewish literature, Paul is using phrases to highlight things that are impossible. In the way of salvation by faith, God is not asking you to do a great action, to do a a monumental task of ascending into heaven or descending into the abyss so that you can be saved. What then do you have to do in order to be saved? And Paul says in verse 8, believe because the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. God doesn't require you to go up into heaven or down into the abyss because the Lord Jesus Christ has come from heaven to you to be near you and he has raised him up from the dead to you, to be near you, in order that you will believe in him. And Paul is here contrasting the demands of the law and the requirement of faith. And so in verse 9 he stresses that trusting in Jesus Christ means embracing Jesus Christ as Lord. And Paul says that there are three things that are absolutely necessary in order to embrace Jesus Christ. Now, in the Old Testament, Lord, the word Lord, the name Lord is the name for God. Okay? And so Paul is clearly testifying to the fact that Jesus Christ is the divine Son of God. He's God. And secondly, he says, you embrace Jesus Christ as Lord, he means that you embrace him as master, as king of your life. Often we think of embracing Jesus Christ as saviour and then we, we, we then tag onto that Lord. But the New Testament profession of faith is not Jesus as saviour, which is self-evident, by the way, isn't it? The basic profession of faith is that Jesus is Lord. That is the first and fundamental confession of the Christian. And then thirdly in verse 10, you must believe that God raised him from the dead. 
Now, there are people who say, yes, I'm a Christian, but I'm not sure that Jesus is fully God. Yes, he was a great teacher who taught about love and gave us many great principles for life, which I agree with, so I, call, I consider and I call myself a Christian. But Paul is saying if a person doesn't embrace the truth that Jesus is Lord, that he is divine, that person is not a Christian. So Paul, so Paul demands a, a central confession here for the Christian. He says in verse 9 that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Paul, but he, Paul doesn't give you an option of not confessing Jesus as Lord or I only want him as Saviour. You must confess Jesus is Lord. And for those of you who have problems with the resurrection, Paul says this, that Jesus saves those who believe that Jesus is, is divine. If you don't believe that Jesus is divine, he's not Lord and Master and King and he's not raised from the dead. And if that's the case, you're not believing in Jesus who saves. Friends, we can't pick and choose and make Jesus to be the person we want him to be. We must accept Jesus as he's offered to us in the word of God. One of the questions we ask uh, new members, when people become members of this congregation, do you receive Jesus Christ? The Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ and trust him alone for your salvation as he is offered in the gospel. This is the Jesus of the Bible, not the Jesus of your own fabrication and it's the Jesus of the Bible who saves. Salvation depends on looking away from your own works, away from your own righteousness and looking to Jesus Christ alone. And finally, in verses 11 to 13, Paul emphasises in the Bible that the Old Testament teaches that the way of salvation is by grace through faith. And Paul is telling us here that trusting in Jesus as Lord is the only way of salvation because it's what the Bible teaches. You know, years ago, we might think it's a bit corny today, But years ago in Sunday school, we regularly sang that hymn, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. In other words, we accept what the Bible tells us. But that's one of our problems today. We don't accept what the Bible tells us. It tells us to trust in God for salvation. Whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He emphasises that the law itself teaches salvation by grace. Now in verse 12, Paul also says something very important. There is no distinction between Jew and Greek, between Jew and Gentile. There is not one way of salvation for the Jews 
and another way for the Gentiles. Religious and non-religious people will tell you today that there are many ways of salvation and there are many paths to God. One God is good as another one. One religion is good as another. Sadly, even I've heard professing Christians say this, but Paul is emphatic here, saying there is only one way of salvation, and that one way of salvation is through Jesus Christ. We're told in Acts 4, no other name under heaven by which a man may be saved than Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying the same Lord is Lord of all. Lord of all. Jesus is the one way of salvation. This is why modern people today in our pluralistic age don't like us Bible-believing evangelicals. We are emphatic on telling the Bible. In Paul's day, his world was pluralistic also, though, was it not? They had many so-called gods. So Paul is saying in his day and age, he's saying, you Greco-Romans, there is only one way of salvation. That was pretty bold in Paul's day and it's becoming very bold in our society. Paul says there's only one way of salvation. And if you're a Christian, and if you're having a hard time believing this teaching, that there is only one way of salvation, just note that you're arguing with the Apostle Paul. And ultimately you're arguing with the Holy Spirit and you're arguing with God. You know, there might be many ways to travel from here from Melbourne to Sydney. But Paul doesn't say that about salvation. He says implicitly, there is one Lord of all, and it's Jesus Christ. Now, if this sounds too narrow-minded to you, or sounds primitive to you, I want you to consider this. No other religion in the world says God so loved the world that he gave his own son. No other religion in the world says that you are so desperately sinful that you're in need of the grace of God. And no other religion in the world will say that God has been manifested in the flesh to save you. What person would have invented a religion that said man is so bad that only God himself can save you? There is no other religion in the world like this. There are no other gods amongst all the possible deities which are false gods who gives a son because of his love. And the Apostle Paul is saying, I will not have the glory of Christ diminished. He is Lord. He is the Lord of all. He is the Lord. And so many think that Jesus is only a great moral teacher, but it's really an insult 
It's a great insult if, that all, if that's all Jesus is because he's Lord of all. To only say that we believe Jesus is a, is a great prophet is no compliment because he's Lord of all. What Paul is calling us right now, right at this very moment, is to bow the knee to Jesus who's Lord. And will you bow the, the knee, will you bow your knee to the Lord Jesus Christ? Friends, it's much better if you do this today, this side of eternity, because one day in the judgment, as Philippians 2, 10 to 11 tells us, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Friends, will you bow the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ and make him your Lord today? That's what this word is saying to you today. That is what the Holy Spirit is crying out to you today, to indeed make Jesus your Lord. Because he is Lord. He's Lord of all. Amen. Would you pray with me? Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we humbly come before you today, bowing our knee to you. Lord, help us never to diminish your glory through disbelief. Lord, help us to come to you by faith alone, to trust in you entirely for our salvation. Lord, make, Lord, we pray that everyone today, here present, will indeed know that they are saved and will call upon your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. More messages of hope at EssendonPresbyterianChurch.org.au or wherever you get your podcasts from.